Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters. We have a special guest in the studio this morning, but before we introduce him, I want Rich Tracy to acknowledge what happened this week. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, as we know, the last few weeks have been heroic and tragic for the members of our United States military who are serving bravely and proudly around the world, particularly uh, right now in Afghanistan. And uh, I, I just want to ask everyone to say a prayer for those who have perished and for the families and their families and for those who are still serving. Here at Law Matters, uh, supporting the military, as you know, is part of our mission, uh, equally to that of law enforcement. And um, I think it's a good time to remind everybody of that and ask them to pray for not only those members of the military, but for our country as well. Amen. In the studio, we have a special guest, Mark Russin, who used to be, say it again? Russin. Russin. See? I do it all the time. It's okay. I'm horrible with names, faces You're close. I get. You're close. Retired ATF. Let's talk a little bit about you, how you got involved with the law enforcement, and how you ended up being where you are today. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, and uh, my sentiments go out, like Rich said, to all of our military and our law enforcement first responders. Uh, God bless them all and keep them safe. Uh, my name is Mark Russin, and uh, I grew up in Chicago on the south side. And uh, when I was 25, I, I ended up going on a gambling junket to Las Vegas, and I ended up uh, taking the test to be a police officer out there. I had already gone to Western Illinois University where I majored in law enforcement, and um, I ended up uh, getting hired on with the Las Vegas Metro Police. I did four, four years as a uniformed patrolman, and then uh, ATF started hiring in 1983. And uh, I, I went federal at that time, and I did 24 years as a special agent with ATF and retired in 2007 and uh, bought a restaurant here in Tucson and uh, stayed here. My wife is from Tucson, so we've, uh, we've been here ever since. And we love it that you're here and on the show to share some of your experiences. Tell us about your, your stay in Las Vegas. I can't imagine working law enforcement in Las Vegas. It has to be pretty exciting. Well, I was 25. I was single and uh, about uh, 25 pounds lighter and I had a full head of hair at the time. So I was doing pretty good uh, back in my prime. Uh, I enjoyed police work. Uh, I really enjoyed being uh, a uniform officer on the strip. We, we, we claim that we have the baddest street gang in, in Nevada and we do uh, Las Vegas Metro, and uh, I did that for four years, and I, I really wanted to use that as a stepping stone to get to a federal job, which I did. And uh, the the uh, the different escapades from growing up in Chicago on, you know, like I said, uh, you know, a tough town on the south side there, and all my trials and tribulations of, of, of being a kid and going to high school there, and, and then uh, working at going to Western Illinois University, and then ended up going to Vegas. Uh, it was uh, it was unbelievable, and what I did was I kept a lot of my reports on most the most crazy, unbelievable calls I went on, and uh, knowing that someday I was going to chronicle the events and 
uh, believe it or not, it's 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 easier when you live through harrowing experiences uh, to write about them uh, later because uh, you know you you like for instance the MGM Grand Hotel fire. I was a rookie when I helped pull dead bodies out of that fire in 1980 in November, and uh, that's a night from hell I'll never forget. And oh, uh, I can imagine. Yeah, there there were a number of other cases, that, uh, other calls that are depicted in my in my book Metro Sin City Chronicles that came out last December, and uh, the book's getting good reviews. And the way I wrote it, I'm I'm trying to bring you along as a sitting shotgun with me in the squad car, and and uh, you know basically understanding what I see, what I feel, what I, what my emotions are and, and the different things and the, and the crazy things people do to one another and, and all that uh, stuff that goes along with being a first responder on the strip in Las Vegas. So, Didn't, didn't you two uh, grow up kind of together? We Rich? did. Yeah. We did. We grew up in the same neighborhood, same park, Vidim Park. Um, Rich is a little younger than me. Uh, he looks older than me, but he, he, he's a little younger, about 10 years, I'd say. Yeah, I, he was probably one of the high... I, I didn't know Mark then. I mean, I met him after he, he got to ATF here in Tucson, but I, I'm guessing he is probably one of the older... one of the high school kids that was chasing us grammar school kids around the park in the neighborhood back in the day in the mid-1970s. I'm guessing he was one of uh, one of the guys that was messing with us, when, you know, that was just the way it worked in our neighborhood back then. But I wasn't a bully. I no, was no, not I, a no, bully I'm not accusing you. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was more in fun than anything else. But it, there was a, if the older kids came along, it was time for us to move along. It was just understood, right? So, sure. Which is why I probably never got to meet Mark, because <laughs> as he was coming, I was going. <laughs> you, you went to the same schools? I, I went to uh, Our Lady of Snow's Grammar School. I'm not sure where you went no, to. No, I, I went to Mark Twain, and then oh, I went, went to, to De La Salle High School, which is another Catholic high school on the south side, and, and Mark... Went to Quigley yeah, South. Quigley South. Yeah. We weren't rivals, but, you know, they, again, all the Catholic high schools were rivalries uh, were products one of the Catholic school. Right, right. Yeah. But you're both White Sox fans. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I'm from the north side of Chicago. I'm, I'm a Cubby. I'm very sorry to hear that. Go Cubs. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had to bring that up. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to be a lo long rest of the interview. <laughs> okay, tell us about... Did you catch that score last night by any, by any chance, Rich? I think we beat the Cubs. I'm, I'm not sure, yeah, but I, I think, I, we, I think, I think so. we spanked them pretty good. Go okay, ahead, I'm sorry. John, can you look up the scores and see if we... <laughs> it was 17-13, actually. <laughs> okay. But who's counting? Who's counting? Tell us about going into ATF. How was that different from what you experienced in Las Vegas? Well, obviously, uh, as a first responder, uh, I, wore, I wore a uniform in Las, in Las Vegas and uh, was part of a squad that uh, had a sergeant that we handled uh, emergency calls and, and what have you. Uh, and then when I when I went with ATF, uh, you know it's a whole different ball game. You're you're playing clothes. You work a lot of undercover assignments, and uh, you you basically um, use the federal system to augment the uh, state and locals in, in everything that they're doing because uh, you know we have a little bit deeper pockets and we have more manpower to to help them and and more uh, different different things to help them uh 
you know, with their investigative process. So it was good, and I, and I, I love being an ATF agent. I love being a Metro police officer, so I, I have nothing bad to say about my, my nearly 30-year career, 30 career career with law enforcement. I, I enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, that's why I wrote the books uh, to, uh, you know, to, to have people understand uh, everything about what goes on being a first responder and uh and also working a case uh of such magnitude uh with atf uh, when i was a young agent in in the san francisco bay area so tell us some of the arrests that you made with being atf well i i chronicled the arrest uh one of the one of the big cases that i worked i wrote the story justice for dallas uh it was bikers who killed a family of four and uh of the family there was a, a mother father a 15 year old boy and a a, a five-year-old little girl that they actually knifed her oh, they shot the three and they knifed the little girl and it tore my heart out and uh i i pledged to not rest until we caught the killer and uh and that's why I wrote the book about it, and uh, hopefully it's it's being screenwritten right now for a movie. And I'm I'm hoping to get an executive producer that'll that'll understand it's a money maker because it's it's got everything uh, in law enforcement. You know, drugs, guns, uh, murder, uh, you name it, arson. They burn the house down after they kill the family. So uh, all those things, and it's it's called Justice for Dallas, and it's available on. Uh, on Amazon, so both these books are available on Amazon right, right. now. Justice for Dallas and, and Metro, then Metro Sin, Sin City, City Chronicles. Chronicles, right? So they're making a movie out of this. Well, they're writing a screenplay. I mean, the movie gets made once the money gets comes in, and, right. and you know, obviously, you can write a you can write a book, you can write a screenplay, but if nobody buys it, and you don't have actors wanting to play parts, and you don't have the money people thinking they can make money out of producing it. Uh, you're not gonna. It's not gonna get that far. But uh, I'm. I've got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, you know, I've been dealing with this for about eight years now. The book came out in 2013. So, uh, and like I said, I'm. I'm confident in it. It's. It's an unbelievable story, and uh, it's got everything that uh, that you could. And there's not a lot of ATF movies out there that uh, I think a lot of people are interested in. It. You know, you say ATF, people think Waco, think. People think guns to Mexico, but we do so much other stuff that uh, we don't get credit for. And, and this was one of the cases. And we we've got agents that have you know put their lives on the line working undercover capacity uh, that are just uh, you know whether it's uh, biker gangs or uh, the mob or, or uh, you know gun runners or drug dealers or whatever because where there's illegal guns there's illegal drugs there's illegal money so we we have crime uh, task forces that we that are developed and uh, so those types of things where we actually join in with the state and locals and uh, try and explain to listeners exactly what does ATF do well, we're we're pretty much known for our our alcohol, alcohol, tobacco, tobacco firearms, firearms, and explosives. Right. Yeah. After after nine eleven, we went from the Treasury Department to the Justice Department, and uh, so we we end up doing uh, firearms related, illegal firearms related uh, investigations. 
machine guns, obviously, that aren't registered, uh, silencers that aren't registered. We do a lot of undercover work with, uh, you know, people that want uh, people killed and stuff like that. We pose as hitmen and, and stuff like that. And a, a, a few times in my career, I did that. Uh, you posed as a hitman? I did, yeah, a couple times. Yeah, we're, Good Catholic kid. Well, you know, these, <laughs> these people are crazy. They want their wife killed, and uh, they, want the, they want the insurance money. And, they, yeah. you, you know, you get, a, you get a guy that you squeeze to get to that person who's looking for somebody to do the job, and they introduce you as an undercover operative, and all of a sudden you're the bad guy and then you're calling the shots as to what you need you know the overt acts that you need to to prosecute the case like supply you with a gun supply you with a silence or supply you with a picture of your wife that you want killed supply you with where she works the house the address all those things that are called overt acts that precede you going and 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 killing and the money of course money up front you know is the money marked no, not, you don't not, mark no, those? no, because we never let we never let it get that far. Once someone exchanges hands, the the, the, jig, the jig is up, and we make the arrest, and and we have the money right there. So, how long do you spend in jail for trying to have your spouse off? Well, it depends. It depends. You know, I mean, hey, come to Tucson, they'll let you out. Just you know, well, there's that also too. We got to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to tell you a quick story about ATF. It, it didn't involve Mark, but just to kind of show you how small of a world it is in, in law enforcement here. I get a call from a, a source of mine that uh, used to give me a lot of good information on fugitives back in the day. And he calls me up. He says, hey, he says, I, I there's somebody here trying to peddle AK-47s, right? And he was there, there was a, a, a guy out there trying to sell them to these people, and he was tangentially involved in it. He sent me pictures of... He had pictures of the guns, there, the rifles they were trying to sell. He sent me the pictures, and of course, I'm like, you know, I, I don't investigate gun crime. You know, there's some territorial things that we've talked about in past shows. Yeah. So I call, you know, friends at ATF, and I tell them what I got. And I explain to them. I sent them the pictures. They called me back and literally said, don't worry about it. Because <laughs> it was an ATF investigation going on that my informant just happened to kind of find himself wander into. So it was all, you know, it was a, it was, a, so I, well, yeah, they they got let it go. Real yeah, quick, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was back in the days before deconfliction was kind of actually a thing. Deconfliction is a big thing now with agencies, you know, bouncing things off of one another to make sure that, you know, we don't have a, a you a know, shootout. Any, yeah, shootout yeah. between. The wrong Blue, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that was just an early example of, and, and just kind of fun. proved what a small community it can be here in law enforcement. Yeah, it's a good thing that everybody works together because you were talking about sharing information. Sometimes you have information that they need and sharing the information gets the bad guys off the street. Yeah, and it's also due to agent safety because, I mean, if you got an agent working undercover yes. and, and one, and one uh, you know, the marshals think he's the bad guy and he's really the good guy, you know, you could have a, a, a real bad situation there. And, yeah, uh, you, we don't want that to happen, and that's where the deconfliction comes in. So, what do you think about this um, guy who shot at law enforcement being let go? Do you did you hear about it? Uh, did there's you hear a lot about of them. I, which one are you talking about here in Tucson, or yeah, just this past week, Rich? Yeah, the this is uh, the the Tucson the Tucson Police Officers Association. The chief of police are up in arms. It was some news story this week of a 
of a defendant that shot at the police. Uh, shot think, at a sergeant? Did he hit him? Or yeah, no? Last, no, 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 no one was shot, thankfully. But uh, goes to court. He's released on uh, you know on bond in in uh, Tucson City Court. I think held the initial appearance, and now it's making its way through the justice court and eventually on to Superior Court, I believe. Crazy. Some of these judges, some of these liberal judges, are out of their minds. I mean, it's true. <laughs> True. So <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it's true. It so, how did you get recruited? Did you actually apply for a job with ATF, or did they come to you? Because I've heard of cases where they, hey, we want you to join our. Well, I I actually went to them. I I kept my eyes peeled for. Uh, and you have, to, you have to understand back in the back in the early '80s when Reagan was the president at the time. They put a they put a freeze on federal hiring at the time, and uh, they were even talking about disbanding ATF. If you if you recall back then, I know Rich, you probably remember that. But uh, so then once they once he changed his mind and they said they're going to start to add agents, then that that word filtered through all the state and locals. You know, they they had a shot to get with ATF, and and that's what I was looking for because when I, I went to Western Illinois and I graduated in 77, the guys that graduated in 75, 76 that I was playing sports with, those guys ended up getting hired on right out of college. But unfortunately for me in 77, the freeze was on under, under Carter, actually. Carter became president and he put the freeze on and then and then it was going to be disbanded by by reagan after he won in, in 1980 so then they didn't start hiring again until mid 83 and that's when i i went to the federal building and I, you know actually they put the notice on in our police station oh. and they said atf was hiring and I, I went right down to the federal building in vegas and uh went right into the atf office and got whatever paperwork I needed and start the process. And that's, that's how it turned out where, uh, because I knew what I wanted. I, I wanted ATF, you know, I didn't want FBI. I didn't want DEA. You know, I, I just, are, you, are we going to bad mouth them? No, oh, okay. not at all. And, and Mark obviously had, wasn't too familiar with the U S marshals or he would have, I wasn't know, familiar with them at the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so right now, all the agencies are hurting for recruits, qualified recruits. What would you tell somebody if they're thinking about getting into law enforcement? What advice would you give them? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, today's law enforcement, uh, let's just put it this way. I'm, I'm happy I'm retired. Uh, <laughs> what's going on right now is just a travesty wanting, you know, the, with these idiots wanting to defund the police uh you know that's the only way i could say it i mean well now they're complaining because the crime rate has gone up and they're duh. like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you, know, you can't have it out. both ways yeah you can't have it both ways and i just uh it, it's amazing to me that 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 they can't figure that out and uh you know i mean and the other thing that bothers me, and Rich, you could chime in on this because I'm sure you feel the same way. You know, one one police officer does something like if we if we're going to use Minnesota as the as the uh, you know example the example, uh, and all of a sudden they paint the brush that all cops are the same way. Well, there have been lawyers, there have been doctors, there there have been nurses, there have been priests. teachers, there's been priests, there's been all this. But they don't get painted with the same brush like right. law enforcement does. And it's right. unfair. It is it's unfair. totally unfair because we're the guys 
that put the bulletproof vests on with our blood type on the vests in case we get shot, God forbid, in the street, that they know the blood type that we're bleeding out with. And, and yet they want to defund us. No, train us more. Give us more money. Give us, you know, give us more police and, and knock some of this stuff out, off. And, uh, but, you know, that, that's, my, uh, that's my two cents worth. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree, and and I think um, the the big thing is for, and I think that's really what, what I mean to say is that's what Law Matters' mission is is to try to bridge that gap and to keep, you know, to to bring the positive aspects of law enforcement to, you know, to the fore, uh, combating against all the negative the negative that's out there right now, and um, you know, in the experience of my career, I. You know, bad deputy marshals or bad police officers. I knew they were ferreted out and dealt with. You know, and I and I think from that's another part of it. Freya, from, from from the inside. Yeah, because good good law enforcement guys don't want bad law enforcement guys on this. Yeah, not at all. Absolutely. And you know, it's it's just a shame that things had escalated the way they did. Right. And there's a lot of misinformation that went out regarding the case that you referred to. Of course. To. Of and, course. And, and I will say, though, I think there's still a ways to go in that, again, which is why I think the show is important, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, and we need to, but we still need to be mindful of a, a certain aspect of this that, that holds true to a certain extent, and, but, but not this sensationalized, over-the-top you know, rhetoric and things that we're hearing now. We, we still need to work diligently to eradicate the, you know, the, the, and weed out the bad apples. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a constant process. It never ends. And people on the job need to be vigilant to, to do their part to, and I, and I'm firmly believe that most good cops out there and most folks serving in law enforcement want that as much as the general public does. Absolutely. They do. And when you have a case that's been tried in the media and whitewashed as much as that particular case was, it's it's just a shame because it takes a whole lot to overcome and try to bring the truth to the to the listeners. But I want to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. This is Deputy Chuk with Pima County Search and Rescue, telling you again to remember that the ground heat on your pet's feet is very dangerous. The bleeding blisters that will occur is considered animal abuse. You can get arrested for this. So think before you bring Fido on a hike. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You are not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. SARSI is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarsi.org. That's S-A-R-C-I.org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue. Save your phone's battery life so when you get lost, we may contact you. Wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort. This is a rescue, not a scavenger hunt. Hi, this is Rich Tracy asking you to tune in to Law Matters Live Show every Saturday morning at 8. On our next show, a UHS counselor and U of A recruiter explain how to prepare your college application. Get your questions ready to call in at 790 790- 2040. We can't do these shows without your help. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to support our mission. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. 
This is Colleen, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. If you are hiking with children and pets, you need to carry the extra supplies they can't. Remember, one quart of water per person per hour, and when it's half gone, turn around and start down. It's Mark from Law Matters, and I'm asking you to join us in our 1030 campaign. 1030 is code for unnecessary use of radio. Keep our radio show free from unnecessary advertising by visiting lawmatters1030.org and click the 1030 campaign button. Your monthly tax-deductible donation of $10.30 will allow us to broadcast public service announcements instead of advertisements. Visit lawmatters1030.org and sign up today. This is Amy, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. An energy drink for breakfast will not prepare you for a day-long hike. Bring food, water, appropriate clothing, and a fully charged cell phone, especially a fully charged cell phone. Okay, thank you for staying with us. And we are in the studio with Mark, who is retired from ATF, and Rich Tracy, retired from U.S. Marshals. And I want to hear about some of these cases that you wrote about in your Metro Sin City Chronicles. Uh, tell me about Pepe's Show Lounge. Well, Pepe's Show Lounge was actually in Chicago, uh, and that's one of the precursors to me moving to to get to Vegas and uh, becoming a police officer. But that was just a, a place on the south side on 63rd Street that uh, was mobbed up, and uh, we I ended up being a bouncer there and uh, taking care of uh, the door and taking care of different things. And uh, I worked with a guy named Ace there, and uh, we, we ran it like a Las Vegas showroom. And uh, the bottom line is uh, that's just... Uh, I, I, I put that in there to give you the flair as to what's happening, like stolen items that would be coming into into the place uh, with the guys in the neighborhoods would break into the boxcars on the trains and, and they would be bringing, you know, hot property in and then they'd tell me what was for sale and then I would be the broker to, uh, you know, if I didn't touch the stuff, I thought it was, it was fine and I would get a piece of uh, whatever they sold that, that evening and I, I worked Friday and Saturday nights but uh, that, was, that was the Pepe Show Lounge story and uh, it's, it's a little more involved but, uh, you know, that, that's kind of that, that in a nutshell. But uh, there were there were several other cases when I was uh, in the way I wrote the book. I I wanted you to understand what it was like to be a street cop in Vegas, and uh, you know different different cases. I I'll give you I give you one uh, one where um, I I was called to a disturbance, a domestic disturbance, and uh, I was the first officer there. I was waiting for my backup and. Uh, uh, like we're supposed to, but I, I heard the lady screaming from inside the, the the screen door was was closed, but the the wooden door was open, so I could see her. And I looked through the screen door, and I saw the gentleman straddling her uh, on the couch and just kind of beating the stuffing out of her. And uh, so I couldn't wait for my backup because she was. You know her face was bloody and and beat beat pretty good. So I decided to to ask for the ETA of my backup. And when he said he was arrived, we both went in and I I hit the guy high. He hit the guy low. My partner hit the guy low, and we tried to get the handcuffs on him. At this point, the lady who was he was beating gets off the couch and runs into the kitchen around the corner, 
and uh, I kept my eye on the corner where she ran, and because I didn't know where she was going, and I told her to get back here, and she didn't. She disregarded my command. So, next thing I see, you know, this this crazed lady, blood all over her face, with this butcher knife over her head, coming to stab me because her husband's now screaming because we're trying to put the handcuffs on him. So I grabbed her by her waist and I flung her through the sliding glass window through the door actually and uh there was a second it was a second floor and she landed against the railing and the knife fell out of her hand and uh uh it turned out that you know we took them both to to jail and uh that was a that's when i said this was a thankless job but come on you know give me a break and here i was trying to help this lady out and she's she's got a butcher knife trying to stab me in the neck she's running around the corner so stuff like that happens you know yeah, it's it's a thankless job at times. It, it is a thankless job, yeah. What about the uh, traffic court? I'm just looking at, in case people are wondering, I'm looking at the table of contents in the Metro Sin City Chronicles, and I'm just asking about some of the, the stories that are listed in here. What about traffic court? Good old Chicago traffic court. <laughs> oh, well, that that was, again, uh, when I was in Chicago, I, I, got, I got stopped. This is before I moved to Vegas. I was, it was a month before I moved to Vegas. And uh, I got pulled over on the Stevenson Expressway. And uh, the police officers, two of them, and they were working traffic. And they, uh, they said that they were hungry and, uh, and, I, and I, they wanted me to pay them off. And I said I, I didn't have any money. So I ended up, uh, it was a rainy night, and they, they actually put the, the uh the ticket on the outside of the window and it stuck because the, the rain was coming down pretty good and i went into the i went into the court and i hired a, a lawyer for 50 bucks took a half a day off work for 50 bucks and uh paid paid the lawyer and when i end up uh going before the judge my lawyer never even asked me what happened never talked to me about the case and he just said my my client was merely going uh 50 or 50 in a 55 your honor and and the judge said dismissed and and that was the end of that and uh so it dawned on me that the judge was was in on the take just like the just like the lawyer at the courthouse so i i would have been cheaper off giving the coppers 20 bucks on the street than i would uh you know it cost me 50 for the lawyer and a half a day's work so that was uh that was one of the things i i because i want to paint the picture chicago of how it really was before i left uh, i know the fbi be, came in and cleaned up the got rid of a lot of judges yeah they, gray lord yeah, yeah that was great the gray lord case right and that yeah. was right around the same time it was in the late 70s yeah exactly. they came in and, and cleaned house Right. Because people, I mean, some really heinous crimes were committed and people were being let go right. because everybody was on the take. Right. So. Another another case, uh, which which I was kind of, uh, it's kind of funny, but not really, but uh, I got a call to a, a stabbing scene and uh, a guy comes to the door and, uh, you know, I'm tunnel visioned into thinking there's going to be blood. Uh, you know, stabbing, there's maybe people screaming, whatever. And the guy answers the door and he's talking to me and he turns around and he starts walking toward the kitchen. And uh, I follow him and I'm looking around for where's the victim, where's the blood, where's the, you know, where, where's the stabbing victim. And he turns back around and the guy's got a, got a knife sticking out of the center of his chest. 
the handle right out of the center of his chest. He's the victim. And he tells me, you know, he says that he tripped over the table. He was peeling an apple, which was a bunch of crap. And uh, I looked for the core, and I couldn't find it. And I looked for, uh, I looked in the garbage. I, I looked all over because I knew he was, you know, he He's was lying. So I quit. Yeah, he was <laughs> lying. So I, I called the paramedics. They came and they actually taped the knife in position because they didn't want it to move till they get to the hospital. And uh, I went in there and, and went and saw the kid, and uh, and I and he finally leveled with me that he his girlfriend just dumped him, and he uh, he tried to do a Harry Carey, uh, you know, kneel down on the knife and stick it and plunge it into his chest. And uh, so I, I kind of uh, gave him a break and I didn't, I didn't include that in the police report because I didn't want to ruin a kid's life. And he, he agreed never to do that again. So that's kind of like one of the things that, uh, that we did on the job, you know, to help, help people out if- Yeah, if, put a nasty mark on his medical record. Exactly. Nothing else. Exactly. So, you know, I can't read on air the titles of some of these cases. No, no. The, the, <laughs> the book was meant to be uh, the real deal. And uh, there's some of them that are, uh, they're funny stories, you know, but. Uh, Tell me some, about badge 2063. Well, that's my badge. That was my badge number. That's a very brief thing about, uh, you know, that was my, my Las Vegas Metro badge. So. Well, what's the story about it? There's a whole chapter in here about yeah, it, it's a story about me getting you know what I went through to get the badge and and all that you know the police academy and then when you finally get that badge it shines like you can't believe and 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 you're to honor the badge and that's what they tell you and and never bring discredit to the badge and and stuff like that and it, it, it was meant to be uh, you know that that's that's the symbol of of honesty integrity and 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 what have you as your as your police officer did you meet and bill you clinton it. i did meet bill clinton i met bill clinton in 93 that was actually that picture is uh, me briefing him in the rose garden about the waco uh when waco happened you know we lost four agents in waco atf and uh his family was their their families were there and i was introducing Clinton to the families that uh, lost their their loved ones, you know, the agents that were that were killed. And if you if you look at the very back page of that, you'll see the picture of all the agents that uh, that uh, that died in Waco. Oh and wow! I, and I, I put I put them in the book because it was one of those um, uh, you know one of those things that I thought that their picture should be. Um, Honored. should be in there and yeah they should be honored for for the sacrifice they made uh on that fateful day back in 93. well that's a whole nother show that waco that's a whole different show exactly that waco story and i've gone to um presentations regarding the waco thing with the fbi uh-huh. and well that, you're going to get a spin there it's okay gonna they're going to spin us <laughs> they're they're going to spin in their direction okay and, tell us what happened from your point of view well, I'd have to it take more than an hour to tell you everything, but uh, Reader's Digest version. Uh, I'll try and tell you that uh, we were compromised beyond uh, beyond compare. Uh, you know, the we we had the ambulances on standby, and the the ambulance uh, dry, the ambulance company leaked, and the newspaper leaked uh, 
a guy looking for to do paper, uh, to do photographs that morning to get these dynamic photographs and he got lost and he and he asked the rural route carrier where's the compound and and the guy asked him why well, what's going on he said ATF and the National Guard were coming and obviously we didn't know that 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 had, had been late. That happened because yeah. we would have never went and uh they and compromised when, the safety of all and when our people. undercover guy came out in about 15 minutes there was a 15 minute gap from when we got him out to safety they went to set up their tripods and in their ambush and when we pulled up we got ambushed so people don't realize that and people also don't realize that the dead the dead agents and all the agents that were shot up and and injured at waco uh you know the the ambulance company and the newspaper settled out of court for around 16 million dollars so if you're not liable you're not going to part with that kind of money that's right so it's true but that's uh, that's a whole different issue and uh um you know that in fact i'm 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 trying to write the script on that now about what really happened i got about six or seven of the guys that were there that were shot up and that were injured at waco that are are part of the uh, part of my team, part of my technical advisory team, putting together um, step yeah. by step, yeah, minute by minute, exactly. Because that was that was a pretty horrific situation. And there's a blue book that people don't realize. You can get it online, but there's a blue book that uh, President Clinton requested uh, with Janet Reno at the time that uh, they wanted to know a blow by blow as to what exactly happened. And it, they did a really nice job. The book's about an inch and a half thick and. And it's done by a, a number of reputable law enforcement, objective, reputable law enforcement people that have, were 30, 40 years in law enforcement. And it's uh, it gives all the details. I, this is not just me making this up. This is all in the book if people want to read it about what really happened. So, and The title is Blue Book? Well, it's <clears throat> I don't have the book in front of me, but it's a blue book. Uh, it's It's... Vernon, uh, what was his real name? Vernon Howell or something? Uh, whatever was Koresh's real name? Yeah, I, I can't remember right look, now either. If, if you Googled it, you, you'd find it. Okay. You know, it's it's, but it's a it's a book that uh, that was put together by a team of investigators from all um, different angles that Looking got together and they 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 did. You know, hundreds of interviews. They got hundreds of pieces of evidence. I mean, it's a thorough, it's a thorough story about what really happened, and that was that was what I was going to use as my blueprint, and then have the agents to augment that story and come From in there. and in first person say what really happened, what what they were talking about, because they were all interviewed in uh, you know in the book. And some of those things you'll never forget. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, but that's a whole different that's a whole different issue. What really happened at Waco? You know. So, where's your ATF career taken you? Have you stayed in Southern Arizona? Or have you been? Well, I, I, like I said earlier, I married a gal who was born and raised here. She went to Catalina High School and uh, with Linda Ronstadt actually, and uh, so uh, we we decided to to stay here, and uh, so that's that's why we're here. 
So it's not like, you know, the marshals or the FBI or GEA where they send you different places. You can oh, pick yeah. a no, spot no, no. and just stay. No, 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 no. I moved seven times. I moved seven times. This is my last this was my last move. Oh, where where else were, were you? I about? started when I left Las Vegas Metro, I started in San Francisco. That's when I wrote the book Justice for Dallas, because that that quadruple homicide happened in the in Fort Bragg, actually, up the right. coast by Bodega Bay. That's where the murders happened. The 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 the, the, um, the motorcycle club was from Vallejo, which is a suburb, north suburb of the Bay Area. Um, then I ended up moving to D.C. I ended up moving to D.C. I ended up moving to Chicago, New York, uh, uh, Albuquerque for a while, and uh, Philadelphia, and then when because my wife's from here and we were going to retire here when the ballistics imaging job opened up uh on the west coast i could have lived anywhere in those in the on the west coast and tucson was one of the arizona was one of the states that was part of that territory so i said if i could live in tucson i want that job and i and i took that job so the last four years of my atf career i was working on the federal building here which is when i met rich you know and then uh, it's a small it, world isn't and then it i ended up retiring and i bought the restaurant and the rest is history and we stayed we stayed after that okay what what tell me about the job that you took so that you could stay in tucson ballistics imaging that was uh like when you shoot a gun and, and uh in to see fact, if it's been used in a crime yeah, guns that are used in crime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like if you do, let's say a drive-by happens, and they miss, and they miss the target. All right, and it's a semi-automatic weapon. The 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 casing is left at the scene, on, usually on the pavement if they hang out the car door. Right. All right, we come in, or the locals come in, and they swoop up the the shell casing. They enter in this in the system. It's called NIBIN, National Integration Ballistic Identification Network. This is getting a little technical, but that's okay. anyway, it's 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 a system that's nationwide that, that and re, it's actually regional because we found that most guns don't travel from the east coast to the west coast. They stay in a region usually, you know, because it's gang related right. most of the time. So we ended up uh, that they ended up opening up four regional positions in the in the west coast was one of them, and I applied for and I agreed to take a step down, but they. They allowed me to keep my grade, so it was it was okay. Uh, the bottom line is, I believe in the program. I believe in that technology. It's cutting edge stuff. It's like a fingerprint. It's like DNA. You know, where you can then, if you find a gun, test fire the gun, and then they do it. You can enter it in the system, and you can get what they call a hit. And they say this this gun that was shot in Tucson was then shot in a murder in Phoenix. Phoenix. And now you got, if you can, maybe you, maybe you have somebody who saw the shooter in Tucson, but didn't shoot, see the shooter in Phoenix. So then you have a lead, what we call a, a cold case lead. So you can tie it together with a gun, that type of thing. I was told that uh, people in Arizona don't have to register their guns. Is that true? Yeah, it's a state law here, you know, that people, I don't need, to be honest with you, I don't, I've I've been retired 14 years. I don't even know what the is state true, law Rich? is here. Correct. There's no requirement to register firearms in, in Arizona. Um, and the, the NIBIN 
if for folks that buy new guns now, it, oftentimes there'll be an empty shell casing in the box that comes with the with the pistol in particular when you buy it, and that is the round that was fired that they, they put could, in the they, system. They could do the they could do the test on it to create that fingerprint that goes into the Nibin system so before that down the, the road gun's even sold. before it's even sold yeah that, that's that what this what Nibin did correct me if I'm wrong Mark because you, you're the expert but they they basically a law was passed where every firearm that is put into the you know, put out for sale is shot after a certain date and they create that fingerprint that that gun will always create when it's fired and going into the future now just like you you lift fingerprints at a crime scene you, you run those into the FBI database, you come up with a hit on that person then becomes a suspect. Same thing with a with a firearm. It, you know, the they, they run the, the ballistics of the weapon that was used at the crime scene. It matches to a weapon that's in the Nibin system and now you it, it creates a it creates a lead or a case. You know, it creates a, something to, for investigators to track down. So they don't have to register their gun. Their gun's being registered through that system. Well, the owner is not being registered. Right, but, but the gun, the gun is being is. registered. The, 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 right, right. The gun's tied to the to the ballistics, and that's how you can get the lead that way. So, And have you solved cases that way? Oh, tons. Tons? Yeah, if you, if you, get, a, if you get a chance, if you want to do some reading, just get on the ATF website and, and punch in NIBIN, and you'll see some unbelievable stories about how we've assisted state and locals uh, in fact, I'm Monday night. I'm doing, a, or no, excuse me, Tuesday night. I'm going to be on the chill of the night with my book because, uh, what, in that homicide, I told you three people were shot in Justice for Dallas. Right. The 15 year old boy, he got shot through and through, and it, and you can use it not only for spent shell casings but for projectiles. So that projectile, because it comes out of the barrel of the gun a certain way with the striations and all that. So the bottom line is this round went through without striking any bone. The other rounds were head shots, execution shots, and, and the bullet disintegrated when it hit the, hit, the brain, you know, hit the cranium, you know. So the bottom line is this one wasn't, and I dug it out of the door jam at the top of the door. So I had a... I had a a projectile now we just had to find the gun if we could find the gun we could then link it and when we found a guy that was dealing 14 kilos of cocaine over the canadian border we squeezed him because he said that he doesn't want to give up his source because he'll end up dead they'll kill him but he can give us a homicide and he was the driver the night of the quadruple homicide that i worked and he brought us to where they tossed the gun in the river and we fished the gun out of the river and we did a test fire. And that that test fire, that test fire projectile matched the one I took out of the door jam. Okay. That's that's the beauty of the of the system. That's awesome. Do yeah. we have I know T P D has a lab for yeah. that. Do all agencies have their own lab or do they all use They're regionalized. Most of them are regionalized because like there's some Podunk police departments that don't have them, right. but if you're if you're a major city, you know, and it, I mean, uh, Tucson's, I guess, a major city. I mean, it's, it's a not suburb a, of Chicago. It's a suburb of Chicago. Okay. That's that's correct, but uh, yeah, they they do have a where they enter ballistics into the system, and then it's and then it's tested against all the ballistics that are regionally entered. So you're going to get 
the Phoenix guns. You're going to get the Flagstaff guns. You're going to get, you know, the it, and it's broken down into regions. It's in the. It's all on the. It's all on the website. It's all on the website. The ATF website. If you're interested in ballistics imaging, that's what the NIBIN is: National Integrated Ballistics Identification Network. So why don't they just like share all that information and make it a national instead of just regional? Is it too much? Because it's too much, and and like I said, the studies show that the the guns are kept regional. They're not. Okay. They're, uh, you know, like the the, the Hell's Angels isn't going to take their gun from Phoenix and send it to Miami. It just doesn't happen. They keep it in the area. It's a commodity, so they keep it in the area. Is it? What's your experience with that, Rich? Have you solved crimes with uh, using this method? Well, I have not. Although I'm. I've been involved in crimes that have been solved with using NIBIN because, again, I didn't investigate those personally. I would refer those to our, you know, our, our friends at ATF for them to look into. And I, and I am aware of crimes that have been solved and that usually tied to fugitives we were looking for that had possession of a gun at the time they were arrested. That further testing found that it was you know, used in another crime somewhere. And, and, you know, again, it created that ability to solve a crime that, w- that had, was yet unsolved. So if somebody has a, a weapon and it's stolen and they don't report it and it's used in a crime in this, this program, this NIBIN thing says, hey, that gun was used in a crime, but that person bought the gun. If they didn't file a police report, are they now a suspect? No, but you could hit a dead end that way. You know, what are you what are you going to do from them if they have no knowledge who stole the gun? Well, yeah, you don't usually know who. Yeah, then you could hit a dead end. We hit dead ends all the time. It's got to be frustrating. Of course, <laughs> law enforcement's frustrating at times. Sure. So, how many arrests? How many good arrests have you made in your? Have did you keep track? You kept track of a lot of stuff. How many good arrests? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, how many people are in prison because of you? Oh God, <laughs> I'd say uh, I probably made five good arrests as an agent, and probably hundreds of arrests. I mean, if you're talking prostitution and all that other stuff, hundreds. They're talking about decriminalizing prostitution in the state of Arizona. What What is your thought on that? I don't care either you don't way. Care? Nah, I don't care. I don't care either. I don't care. Do you care, Rich? Well, I, I um, given what happens to the women that are, you know, that are that they're sex victims, traffic. right? Sex trafficking and the way they get treated and all those things. I, I probably differ than uh, on that point. I think it's a, it's a horrendous set of circumstances that leads to. You know, horrible circumstances for women. Yeah, I don't know how they they don't want to. I have a little say. It's different. not legal. Legal. You know, it's it's not that it's legal to prostitute. They're just decriminalizing it because of I think because and we're going to have somebody on the show on the sixteenth of October to talk about this. The sex trafficking aspect of it is is got a problem there. So I don't know how they're going to word it. I don't know how it's going to turn out. It hasn't been passed yet, but you you have a different opinion. 
Uh, well, you know, what I found in Vegas was most of the girls are run by the pimps, and the pimps are the ones that are making the money. And uh, if you legalized it, you could maybe do away with some of these pimps because the girls wouldn't have to rely on them to bail them out of jail every night when they get picked up. So there's that, you know. So, you know, I just run it as a business. I mean, I, I would think you'd have to get tested and, and all that stuff because right now, uh, the street walkers in Vegas, they're not, you know, they're not being tested by any, uh, to any you're, degree. You're talking about for diseases? Yeah. Okay. Of course. Yeah. All right. So, uh, that type of thing. And, and like I said, and, and, and they're, 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 they're thieves because they do what they call trick rolls where they set guys up. Like they'll go into a hotel casino and they'll see a guy with a nice watch on or a nice ring on, and, and he's a, he's an easy mark. And they'll go up and they'll hit on him, Google eyes, all this stuff, get him to the room, and then feed him either a drug or some type of, uh, you know, dr uh, drinks. I mean, a lot of drinks, get him drunk or whatever till he passes out. And then they end up stealing all of his goods. And that happens all the time. They call them trick rolls. So those are things that, might be done away with because they're doing that at the behest of the pimp who wants the who wants the money of course so so that's this is going to be a very convoluted you know if they get this to pass it's going to have to it's going to have to be really specific and the language is going to have to be really on point because this this doesn't sound like something that you know let's just legalize it and everything is fun and games and it just doesn't work that way so, well, okay, I want everybody to know that next week we will have a representative from University High School, maybe even two, and we will have a, a recruiter from the U of A. We're going to go over what every parent needs to listen to, the process for applying for college, and you need to start before your senior year. You need to start thinking about it in middle school so you can plan everything out and be ready so you're not scrambling at the last minute and your work product looks like it. And as the father of a current college student and a senior in high school, I'm absolutely right. <laughs> I'm, deal I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the thick of that right now, as a matter of fact, as I'll, a parent. I've got the outline they sent to me. We're going to be posting it on our website. It's already there. It's already on our website if you look at the blog page and you can follow along with. And if you've got questions, call in at 790 2040 and get the answers from the horse's mouth because they will be here to help all of you. And what else? We're going to be doing a special show on the 16th of October, and it'll be hopefully remote in Oral Valley at the Steam Pump Ranch Farmer's Market. Until next week, shop local, stay safe.